When we talk about miracles in the Bible, there's a book that we simply cannot miss out on. That's Exodus, the second of the 66 books of the canon of Scripture. Indeed, this book is a long series of miracles that the Almighty God performed in order to get His people out of bondage in Egypt and take them to Canaan, the Promised Land. But that was a very long journey, lasting 40 years. And during those 40 years, the people of Israel witnessed miracle after miracle. Today, we are going to talk about three miracles involving a vital element, namely water. I'm your host as usual, Dr. Norbert Augustine. After their miraculous departure from Egypt, the Israelites reached the Red Sea. That was a mighty obstacle in front of them. How to cross over to get to the other side? To make matters worse, the Egyptian army came pursuing them in horse-drawn chariots. There they were, sandwiched between the Egyptians and the Red Sea. Humanly speaking, by human standard, that was truly mission impossible. Hopeless and desperate, the Israelites thought that that was the end of them all. But they had forgotten how the mighty hand of God had delivered them from the ruthless hands of the Egyptians. They started to protest and contest, even to the point of wanting to return to Egypt and die there. Poor Moses, their leader, had to bear all their grumblings. But the old men kept trusting God. If the Almighty had brought them that far, He would surely not allow them to die in Egypt, or in the Red Sea, or at the hands of the Egyptians. He surely held the key to that dilemma. Indeed, He commanded Moses to stretch his hand over the sea. And no sooner had Moses done that than the waters of the Red Sea parted into two. A mighty wind blew over the waters one whole night, allowing the Israelites a dry and safe passage across the sea. It looked like God's invisible but mighty hand had parted the waters, holding them back long enough for the Israelites' hosts to cross over. On the other hand, when the Egyptians tried to pursue the Israelites across the sea, the waters miraculously rolled back into place, drowning the Pharaoh, his own army, with their chariots and horses. That was the first miracle I wanted to refer to. But how could God exercise so much one power and authority over the deep waters of the Red Sea? We can read in Genesis chapter 1 verses 6 to 10. And God said, let there, let, God, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. 
And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. So we see how at the very beginning of creation, it was God, the mighty, the almighty God, who separated the waters above from the waters below. And then coming below, he separated the land from the seas. And he's the one who called the, who called the waters underneath, under the firmament, he's the one who called them the seas. So we see, we understand by that, how God could exercise his authority over the seas which he himself had created. So now we can perfectly understand the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. But let's move to the second miracle. Now the Israelites were in the desert on their way to Canaan. We can guess how burning the desert sun must have been. Remember, there were millions of men, women, children and elderly people in the Israelite host. We'll all agree that the most precious element in a desert is undoubtedly water. It's worth much more than gold, more precious than any treasure, for life depends entirely and exclusively on that liquid. Colorless, odorless, and tasteless perhaps, but definitely life-sustaining. Eventually, after many days of wandering in the heat, the people arrived at a place called Mara. And lo, there was water. At last, they could have a much-desired drink and quench their thirst. Also, they thought, but what a delusion! When they tasted the water, they couldn't drink, for it was bitter. That's why that place was called Mara, a word that means bitter. As one author put it, water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Again, protests and grumblings on the part of the people. But the Almighty once more held the key. He showed Moses a piece of wood and commanded him to take it and cast it into the water. Once that had been done, the people were asked to drink. Miraculously, the bitter water had become sweet. That mysterious piece of wood cast into the water, turning bitter water into sweet and drinkable water, was in fact a representation, a type of Christ. Indeed, before we came to know Jesus as our Savior and Lord, before we invited him into our hearts, our lives were bitter. Sickness, disease, frustration, disillusion, poverty, misery, failures, seeing no purpose to our lives, and so on, were all our lot. However, when we invited Jesus into our lives, everything changed. Changed for the better, of course. Not that we no longer experience hardships and trials, but now will our lives have a purpose. We have 
a destination. We are no longer wandering aimlessly in this world. We are now heading for the spiritual and heavenly Canaan, where we'll enjoy eternity in the company of our Heavenly Father and all the saints. That's why I urge those of you who haven't yet made Jesus the Lord of your lives to repent of your sins and confess Him as your only Savior and Lord. Not only will He sweeten your lives on this earth, but He'll give you eternal life in heaven too. Finally, the third and last water miracle I'd like to touch upon in this episode. From Mara, the Israelites moved on, still heading for the Promised Land. Now they arrived at Rephidim. Again, almost dehydrated in the Middle Eastern sun, they yearned for water, but not a drop to, to be seen. The indefatigable Moses once more had to endure the people's anger. They were even about to stone him to death. But again, Moses cried to God. He knew who alone could help them out of that dire strait. He asked Moses to move to the rock at Horeb and strike it with his rod. It must be said that that was no ordinary rod. Before sending Moses to Egypt to set the people free, God has transferred a supernatural power onto Moses' staff. From then on, the place got the names Meribah and Massa, because the people had rebelled there. Accordingly, Moses struck the rock and miraculously water gushed out of it. Thus, the people could drink their fill and quench their thirst. Once again, there's a very strong symbolism here. That rock at Horeb that was struck to give out water prefigured Christ, who later would be struck before the religious authorities of the day and on Calvary so he could pour out his blood and even water to provide redemption for whosoever would believe in him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 to 4, we can read this. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock, capital R, that followed them, and that rock, capital R again, was Christ. So as you see, that rock that was at Horeb and that gave out water to quench the thirst of the Israelites was a symbol, a representation, a prefigure of Jesus Christ. Thus we see how God worked wonders through water to deliver his people and to sustain them during their 40-year wandering in the desert. Also those miracles demonstrated beyond any shadow of a doubt that God is sovereign 
in that all creation is subservient to him. Similarly, we too walk his children, whom he has taken out of the world, are under his protection and are the beneficiaries of his abundant grace and provision as we journey to our heavenly Canaan. What a mighty and formidable God we have.